Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. I want to welcome each and every one of you back to our series entitled Promises. If you're new with us, we've spent the last several weeks learning about, reminding ourselves about how faithful God is to the promises that he's made us. And that in fact, when you learn what those promises are, it begins to anchor you to the very nature and character of God. God doesn't make emotional promises. We make sometimes promises that we can't keep, but God doesn't have the ability to lie In fact, the Bible says that God is faithful to his promises unto a thousand generations. So that's just a Bible way of saying that God's always faithful. So you may have come to church this weekend just to hear that God is a faithful God, and if you'll trust him, he always delivers on his promise. I wanna look in the camera and welcome our McKinney campus. I wanna welcome all those watching online. Maybe someone watched this message later. I also wanna welcome our Hazlitt campus. At all our campuses, they're having water baptism this weekend, joining in with us. So would everyone just put their hands together and welcome everybody that's joining in with us this weekend. I'm gonna ask if you have your Bibles to turn to the book of Ruth. I don't know if you've ever been to this little book in the Old Testament. You might have to look in the concordance, that's okay. Find the number, find the page. It's in the Old Testament and it talks about where we're going in this series. I hope you've had a chance to listen to the messages. If you haven't, go back and catch up on the covenant promise of God and what we've been doing is looking at God's promises, sort of looking at a thread all the way through Jesus that the Bible says every promise of God is fulfilled, it's it's yes, it's amen in Jesus. So we're looking at Jesus's fulfillment in our lives as we look at scripture and see what God has promised us and who Jesus is in our lives. And we've been looking at it primarily through this vertical, if you will, how how Jesus comes into our life and what he does. And last week we began to make a little bit of a turn to start talking about how it really plays out in our real lives. Now, not that Jesus doesn't affect our real lives, but Jesus affects the things we care about most. And last week we started talking about our natural families. Well, I wanna talk to you today about something that is very, I believe, very central core to how you walk out the promises of God, how they become real in your life. You can talk about them all day long, but our goal is really to live them, to experience them. And one of the ways that happens is through something I wanna share with you that's a core value here. It's a, it's a distinctive. It's, it's probably something that you felt when you walked in, when you began to meet some of the people. It's, it's like, man, there's, there's something about the atmosphere. It's, it's like you can feel when something's off in an atmosphere, but you can also feel when you come in and it's like, did they put all the genuine people in the world in one spot? You know, these people feel authentic. Is this, sometimes we have so many trust issues, we think, is this really real? Are they being fake? What's going on? And a lot of people call it friendliness. And I like to say it's like coming home to family. When you get around spiritual family, there's a distinctive. I wanna take you back 20 years ago. 
20 years ago, the verse I'm about to read to you and some of the concepts that I'm gonna share with you today, just after a few Sundays as we started Milestone Church, we were in a cafetorium, I began to talk about spiritual family. I began to speak about that. I began to write on that. I, I share that with teams and churches many times when I talk about the ethos, the environment, the culture in which people grow. I began to talk about that. Now, back then, I, was, I, I didn't have a lot else to offer, you know? I mean, I was in a three-piece suit in a cafetorium that smelled like hot dogs, and there was Coke machines, and people would get up during my message and get a Coke. Appreciate it, brother. We're trying to feel significant right now. We're trying to feel cool at any level, and here you are in the cafetorium, and it was like, look, we don't have a lot. Bad sound system in a cafetorium, but began to talk about spiritual family, and it's something that we didn't just say, oh, our church has gotten larger, let's try to make a big church feel small, which we tried to. It wasn't something that we said, hey, can we kind of do this at a stage along the way because people are being disconnected and the back door's open, and how do we kind of do this to glue things together? It's foundational. It's something I'm passionate about. It's at the very core. It's what I, when I do Discovery 101, which I would encourage you if you haven't been to that, we have it at the first of every month in the last few years because when people get in pain, they're not looking just for someone to deliver content to them. They're looking for an atmosphere that can help them, that can, can be soothing to them, can be connective for them. And so we've had a lot of new people come. So for the last few years, I've done this sometimes twice a month. And in Discovery 101, I start with the principles that I'm gonna share with you this weekend. I start with this. In fact, I get so passionate about it, I look up and I have no time left for all the other things. I end up 30, 40 minutes and people are holding their books going, will he ever get to every blank? Especially the people who really like the blanks. You know who you are. You're just like, does he know there's like a hundred blanks that he hasn't gotten to yet? Come on, you know who you are. The Bible says in Psalm 68, 6, right in the middle of the Bible, God sets the lonely in families. In your guide this week, we're talking about what now counselors and sociologists and even medical professionals are saying an epidemic in our culture of loneliness. An epidemic, and if it's an epidemic in culture, I believe it's a major challenge in church today. Because what happens is today we have lots of content. We have more content than we've ever had. But the challenge is content alone can't get you to where you're called to go. So we can download more information, but we don't have the ethos, the environment, the culture, the home, the spiritual family that lets us live out what we're listening to that God talk about. And so we see it in Psalm 68, 6. We see a passage of scripture that really sort of just drills it right there. It says, God sets, God sets, that's an important word, sets the lonely in family. He sets the lonely. What do we a lot of times think about? Well, we think about, I'm going to church, or what did the preacher preach on, or what'd you talk about at church, or what program are you connected to? We talk a lot about the things, the what, of church or our spiritual lives or here's what I'm doing spiritually and a lot of times we even might say, did you join the church? I went to Discovery 101 and I, 
I was praying about joining the church. The church I grew up in, you walk forward at the end of the service to join the church. The pastor standing out there down there by himself every week, just lonely, just praise the Lord. Will anybody come forward? You know, we sang 17,000 verses of just as I am. And finally, somebody might come down and say, Pastor, I want to join the church. And of course, in my church, we voted on them. You know, we stand up there, here's so-and-so. We've never met them. They may be an axe murderer. We don't know. Y'all want them to join the church, signify by saying I. I is opposed by the same sign. No one ever said, hey, we don't want those people. You joined the church. Let me tell you this, that's a great concept. It's just not biblical. You join Costco, <laughs> which I like Costco. COVID stole everything, but man, Costco used to be the place I would go with my wife. She's like, I'm going shopping. I'm like, I'm out. She said, I'm going to Costco. I said, I'm in. Because I would go there hungry and leave full. Y'all know what I'm saying? I would go around and say, man, I'll have a little bit of that. What are you peddling? Oh, poof, man, that looks good. And so you make a lap, go put a disguise on, make another lap. Wow, never seen that before. Tell me about it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I'll have a couple of those. And you might join Costco, but God says to us, you don't join me and you don't join my family. I set you in it. I place you where I want you to be. It's my team, it's my family, so I place you. And many times what I see today in our world, and this is why I get so passionate about this, because I want it for you. It's like it's hiding in plain sight, and people have a Bible, but they don't see it. In the very beginning of the book of Genesis, God, he's what's called self-sustaining. God doesn't need anything else outside of him to cause him to grow or be sustained or to be fulfilled. He is eternal and okay by himself at all times and has been for all eternity. But he chose. He chose a family. And when you read the creation story, he created the light. And the Bible says it was good. And then he created the animals and it says it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good, and then he created man, and he said it was very good when he created the human beings, but then there's a moment where it says it was not good. It was not good. Wait a minute, God, everything's been good. Now you say something's not good, and here's what he says. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for them to be alone because alone's not good, so I will create a helper suitable before him, and because of that first natural family then became the possibility for a spiritual family to develop. We've been studying in this series, Abraham. He's our, he's our father of faith. He's the father of this covenantal relationship we have with God. If you grew up in church, we sang the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Some of y'all didn't grow up in church. Had many sons had Father Abraham, and I'm one of them, you are too, so let's just praise the Lord, because he's our father. And then we just keep going. Did you know David and Jonathan had a covenant relationship? I don't know if you have any of those. I know that's kind of PhD level. Some of you are like, preacher, I'm just trying to find a friend, much less a covenant relationship. No, no, no. God's called me to walk with you. Jonathan, I'm called to walk with you. Whatever comes in your heart, David, I want to see to it that I can help be a part of seeing that come to pass. 
Elijah and Elisha. Elijah didn't tell Elisha, you have to follow me. He opened the door for him to be with him. And as a result of him being with him, he had double the mantle. His mantle fell on Elisha and Elisha did double the miracles. In our world today of where we just say, hey, I got it. I'm by myself. I'm alone. Just give me the content. I'll download it on YouTube. We a lot of times may say, well, of course, God, Elisha could have done the double miracles. All I'm saying is that's not how it happened. There was a mantle that came that fell upon him. So we see this pattern throughout scripture in Jesus himself. Aren't you glad that Jesus is not a statue? He's not an ideology. He's not a philosophical concept. He's not a religious world leader who came up with a system and then died to leave it to his followers, but he was a real person. He was God, but he came and he had friends. And I love Jesus's familial language. In his farewell discourse, he would say things like, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. He said one time, I love this one about Jesus. It just, it just endears me to him. The same Jesus who said, you call me these things, but you don't do what I say, where the same Jesus who, who called on his followers to follow him as Lord, Kyrios, the most high thing, said, I call you friends. I call you my friends. Wow, that's an endearing thought that Jesus, and he would use this that would then become the New Testament letters where they would become family with one another as they followed Christ. They would call one another brothers and sisters, and the Bible exhorts the younger brothers to look to the older brothers and the younger moms to look to the older moms and the younger women to look, and there was this familial language, and it's if God knew that we would have problems in our natural families, it's if God knew that we would have problems in spiritual family, but he didn't give up on it. Then maybe I wanna give you this ethos of brothers and sisters who may not be of your natural bloodline, but because of the blood of Jesus, you can walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and somehow through that, I'm gonna get you to where I'm calling you to go. Now, some of y'all are not from church. You come in and people say, hey, brother. You're like, I'm not your brother. I have people a lot of times I'll be standing out there shaking hands. They'll come up. I know they kind of have church, but not really full church because what they'll do is be like, they know this vernacular. Hello, brother little. Good talk. So they got enough church to call me brother little, but not enough church to know it's a sermon. I'm not giving a talk. I'm preaching the word of God. This ain't a TED talk. This is a Bible thumping message from God. Brother Little, hello, brother. What is all that? That's familial language, and it's hiding in plain sight throughout the whole Bible. And Jesus, the New Testament starts with the lineage of Jesus. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. She was a prostitute. God uses the unlikely candidates. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse became, again, the father of David. David became the line and lineage of which Jesus was born. So God was doing this family thing, this lineage thing, all the way through Scripture. And Ruth, who we're going to read about in a minute, which has major covenantal language in it. Relational covenantal language that leads to, I just, I want to give you a wild thought 
that you don't many times know, you many times can underestimate the relational decisions that you make, the impact on the kingdom of God for the future in your personal life. I don't know that this girl Ruth in the middle of nowhere, by the way, the least likely candidate, a young, impoverished, you'll see it in a minute, widow had any idea the decision she made relationally that would get her to start and open up the New Testament to talk about the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thought. But let me talk a minute about loneliness. Because you say, wait a minute, I'm not lonely, Pastor. I'm around more people than I want to be around. Because a lot of times we think of the concept of loneliness as proximity to people not necessarily the fulfillment of the relationships that we actually walk in. Statistics say we have an epidemic of loneliness, that in fact, 33% of people believe there's no one there who wants more for them than they want from them, no one there that genuinely cares for them, no one there in the middle of pain, no one there that they can really count on, that sees them, that knows them, that wants to help them. 33% of people are lonely every day. More than 50% are lonely at least once a week, saying, is this all there is? I know there's a lot of people that need me, but is there anyone there who cares about me? An epidemic in our culture. And by the way, loneliness is contagious. 52% of people are more likely to feel and experience loneliness if they hang around another lonely person. Think about the world we live in today. It's changed forever, so... I've been preaching this for 20 years, really longer than that, in my early 20s, 20 years at Milestone, 27 years, I've been talking about this, and if I were to say, it's kind of one of my life messages. I love to preach on Jesus, and I love people to get saved, but I believe that after you get saved, what we miss in the American culture is he puts you in family to grow you up. He puts you in relationships to get you where he's called you to go, but in my 27 years, things have changed. How many of y'all remember when somebody might just stop by your house? I grew up in Northeast Texas. Somebody might just stop by the house. I might come home from school and Mr. Clark, who's a widower that lived next door to me, my mom, maybe she borrowed a cup of sugar from him and he decided he needed to get a cup of sugar from her. And I might come in there in the kitchen, Mr. Clark's in the sugar bowl. Mr. Clark, what you doing? He said, I'm getting some sugar. Cool, help yourself, brother. Nowadays, somebody just shows up at your house. You're watching them from inside on camera, wondering what they're up to. <laughs> what are they doing at our house unannounced? That's gotta be on the calendar for a month. Do you remember when ghosted me meant you had a good Halloween outfit? Do you remember when FaceTime was what two teenagers did when the parents weren't looking, had a little FaceTime? <laughs> Do you remember when Zoom was the stuff coming out of the back of a car on cartoons when you just drew it there? Well, as a result of all these cultural changes, we now have new words for where people live and over the last couple of years, increased. We have what's called crowded loneliness. I'm surrounded by more people than I've ever been surrounded by, but I don't have anyone I deeply trust. We have virtual connection. We've traded human connection for virtual connection. 
You're saying, Pastor, should we go back to the dark ages? No, virtual connection is here to stay. But virtual connection has now changed our work lives, our relational lives. It's now changed how we interact with people. The average person has 338 Facebook friends. You can go home today and find out if you're cool, if you're above average, based on how many you have. And we follow one another's lives and we have more exposure to everything bad in the world than we ever have before. Lots of virtual connection, but I would appeal to you, with a greater level of virtual connection, we have a decrease in actual connection. We have increased mobility. We have increased mobility like never before. We've moved into multiple different places. We live in a global world, a mobile world. So many times we look for greater opportunities in the what's of our lives while we leave behind the who. We leave behind the who, the anchors that are there for us. And I like to say it this way, many times we're looking for greater mobility greater upward mobility and we're searching for that which will add one thing to our life only not realizing many times when we get that one thing we're leaving behind the things that we care about. So these are part of our world. What does Ruth say to us? Well, Ruth actually shouts to us from, again, a young impoverished widow in the middle of nowhere. It's amazing what I see here. You may have seen some of Ruth's words at a wedding because Ruth's words are covenantal in nature. Again, a least likely candidate, it says in chapter one, verse one, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A lot of us have never experienced a, an actual famine. So, so we might even think of this as their great need and impose our great need. I don't believe we have a food famine for most of the people I'm speaking to this weekend, but we have a famine of the soul. We have a famine of the things that really matter. It says, so a man from Bethlehem. By the way, it's kind of ironic that the Bible says that there was a famine in Bethlehem is where they were. Bethlehem means house of bread. So there was no bread in the house of bread. So they had to leave Bethlehem. It says here together with his wives and two sons, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So Moab was, again, the least likely place you wanna go but they're searching, they're sojourners, they're on a search. Most people I meet today, they're on a search. They're searching for that which they don't possess. So they're hungry of soul, searching, looking for the what's in their lives. But I love the fact that you see in this story, again, it wouldn't make the Hallmark Channel because this guy takes, again, this family goes and the sons end up marrying wives and what happens is that all the men die. And the story really hits its apex moment when the two daughter-in-laws of the now widowed mother-in-law, she there is now going back to Bethlehem. And she doesn't, again, same way, there's not manipulation. There's not, you have to go with me. You're obligated to help me. No, she simply actually out of concern for them says, you should go back to your families. You don't need to go with me. And here in verse 14, this is big right here, this is big. It says, one of the daughter-in-laws, Orpah, she kissed her, but Ruth clung to her. The word clung is a covenantal language where she saw this revelation, I'm supposed to be with you. And then we read what we hear at weddings, it says, 
But Ruth, again, replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. So it wasn't about the location or even the promise of food. It was about the who that she was called to be with. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I die. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This is a picture that leads to the lineage of Christ, which leads to the birth of the church, which the Bible all the way through gives familial language. We see something that I believe a lot of people have revelation of Jesus. They have revelation of spiritual truths. It's such a powerful thing when you get a revelation that Jesus wants to talk to you about your money. It's a major thing when you get revelation that Jesus wants to talk to you about your natural family, when Jesus wants to talk to you about your marriage. But what I believe we have a deficit of in our culture is that Jesus wants to talk to you about your relationships. Jesus wants to talk to you about the who. You may have heard it in leadership dialogue. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me not just the Bible you are studying, but who are you studying it with? Because it's gonna influence and affect your life. We see a major, major picture of that here. God's answer to spiritual family, and I know we have a buzzword in our world, the community. I'm looking for community. I don't believe that that's a strong enough word for what I see in scripture. I mean, you can have community, you can be a part of a community, you can have community at the Lions Club, you can have community at school, but I believe what influences the community is a higher revelation of spiritual family. Because spiritual family is where you learn the principles and maturity and growth that you need to be a blessing in your community. And so it's a scriptural concept. It's, it's modeled by Jesus. It's modeled by the Apostle Paul and Timothy. You're like my son, Timothy. Timothy pastored the largest church in the New Testament. You say, well, he could have done that without Paul, but he didn't. He didn't. He had a spiritual father relationship that was helping him and encouraging him. In fact, some of the books that we read here are called the pastoral epistles, and they are pastoral instruction from a familial spiritual relationship that was pouring into his life. And he may have quit the ministry if he didn't have it. The same way many people quit today when they're isolated alone and don't have those relationships in their life. So you're like, Pastor, I got you. But the Bible says also that in Proverbs 18:1, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound judgment. Can I say something to you as a pastor and you hear my passion? As a pastor, I'm called primarily not as a speaker, not as just a leader, but as a shepherd to care for sheep. And I have to tell you, I've had an inordinate burden even over the last few years and been passionate about it because I want you to understand that the wolf loves nothing better than an isolated sheep. The prey of the enemy loves nothing more than a sheep that's isolated from the relationships as God's. We don't do good alone, period. You say, I'm convinced, how do we get it? Well, I wanna give you three questions very briefly that help us overcome loneliness. And I wanna talk about it through the lens of spiritual family. How does God get us into this thing called spiritual family? What is that, what, what, is, what is that? How does that work? Some of you may be hearing this for the first time and you're like, okay, what is this? How does it work? Well, remember the Psalm 68, six passage and even look at Ruth's story. It's our job to discern really 
We're, we're discerning where God is placing us. See, we do the discerning of what he's saying, but God does the placing. This is bigger than Milestone Church. This is maybe someone even watching online as we've had an increased number of people even follow me online. It's not just, just again, for us as a church. I, I'm talking to if you have become a follower of Jesus Christ, he's added you to his family. He calls you his son and daughter, but as you are born again, you're a baby, but to grow up as a baby, he has to place you in a family. And I hope you feel that way about wherever your family is. You've got to discern where is God placing me. He does the placing, we do the discerning. Lord, where are you joining me? Not I join Costco. The New Testament uses the term joined. Joined by God. He places us. Did you notice this group in Ruth? They were looking for food. I see that in our culture. We're always after the food. We're after the next we're after the promotion. We're after the next thing in our lives, which is creation. And I'm not saying, you say, Pastor, you're saying you should never move. No, I'm not saying you should never move. You're probably going to move at some point in your life. What I am saying is no one other than a pastor is gonna tell you that just because it's a bigger paycheck doesn't mean you're gonna be wealthier. I find people are moving here. I find that Milestone Church sometimes is the place where they think they moved here for food, for a better job. For a cheaper house, welcome to the promised land of Texas. Just remember, it was this way before you got here. An environment where I've got, there's a potential for more food. And what God does sometimes is you're moving for food and you don't know it, but he wants to place you in family. We're looking for food. God, get this, we're a lot of times mainly focused on the what. And God's way more focused on the who. Him and the relationships in our lives. The second thing though is, you're like, okay, I got you, we're supposed to discern. What hinders this thing, spiritual family, pastor? Well, I wanna, I, I just wrote out a diagram this week to go, how can I make this as practical as possible? Again, my engineering dad, it's like, break it down for me. Well, let me, let me break it down for you. It won't happen until you realize this. You have to value relationships, not just information. We live in a world today where it's like, if I can get a little more information, I'll get to where I'm called to go. All I need is the information, the DIY, the do it yourself. But the greatest things in your life were not taught only, they were caught in your life. The principle of discipleship that Jesus started with was not just the teaching of those people that he walked around with, but the catching of his life. When he would handle a, a person who had been caught in sin, when he would love the unlovely, when he would pass through an area of town that everyone said, look, those people are not included, he was modeling something. He was showing them something that they caught. So it's not just information. We have more information than we've ever had, but how do you actually increase development? It's relational, not just informational. And growth happens after you commit. It happens after you commit. Let me bring you through the journey of Milestone Church for years. I mean, we started in the cafetorium. I'm talking about spiritual family, and then I would start sharing, I would share this, and this is a core value. This is who we are. This is, this is something I'm passionate about because I believe it's how people grow. I believe it's how God gets you to where you're called to go. I appreciate sermons. I appreciate songs. But my main job is to see you equipped. And I know we live in a world today where it's hard to commit 
because you've got plenty of things to commit to. You got plenty of things drawing your attention, drawing your time. But the kingdom of God, an environment in which God calls us to commit one to the king and two to the kingdom is an environment where you get a deposit of things that you can't get from people that just want your commitment, but a king who has the ability to get to you what you need in that commitment. And so there were years where milestone, again, people, this was the word on the street, don't go there, man, they'll make you commit. I'm gonna go hang on the back row. No offense to anybody on the back row. One guy just slid down back there. He's like, it's the only seat they had, preacher. It's cool. I love to say it this way. The back row or your digital pastor is great. Sometimes I wish I could sit on the back row. It's a great seat. It's a great spot. No commitment. No strings attached. Maintain your anonymity. It's a great seat unless you have a problem or you wanna grow. If you wanna grow, you know most of these books over here in the New Testament that you might be reading through, they're letters to churches and there's two words in them all the time, one another. Bear one another's burdens. If you're not connected to the one another, how are you bearing? How are you growing? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The fruit of the Spirit, come on. You gotta get in relationships to find out if you're kind. You're like, I feel like I'm the kindest person I know. Well, ask some other people. <laughs> you're not kind, you're rude. Come on, anybody got a teenager? We could use a little kindness this morning. We realize hormones are running and raging through your body and you know the whole world just revolves around you. Could you have a little fruit of the Holy Spirit and be kind to your mother? Some of y'all may not have teenagers. You'll, you'll learn that one. It'll happen. It'll happen. Kindness. Humility. I'm the humblest person I know. <laughs> yeah. Get in some relationships. We'll find out how humble you are. I want to say this. We may not be as mature as we think we are because we've been way more isolated than we perceive ourselves to be. Why did we have, in the last two and a half years, a scattering of the sheep and the lack of resilience that's needed to stand in a crisis? Because we spent far more time listening to content than actually living the content we've heard. It's relational, not informational. Growth happens after you commit, and then here's the big one, when challenges come. Anybody been married longer than two weeks in the audience? Anybody, anybody, maybe in Hazlitt. When you get offended, not if, when the challenges come, you lean in instead of stepping back. Now let me inspire you a little bit. Why am I so passionate about this? Because I've seen its fruit. I've seen what it produces in people's lives. So what does spiritual family, when you begin to prioritize that, you begin to really walk out those relationships with others when you do that. What, what does it really produce? Well, I will say one thing on a high level before I get to the practical ones. It produces sons and daughters. You can't have a convention center of people listening to one gifted person talk only and have sons and daughters. 
I was talking to someone who went to our recent retreat. The last two weekends, we've had young people away. Battle of Sexes retreat. And one of the persons that was there who went as, as a person at the retreat was talking to me about it with tears in their eyes saying, we had this encouragement tunnel where we were looking at these kids in their face and saying, don't let suicidal thoughts come your way. God loves you, he has a plan for you. Don't let what any person says about your appearance on Instagram define you. Your identity's in Christ. And I was listening to them talk with passion and they were crying and they were like, it was so powerful. And I thought, you know what? That's spiritual family. That's a, that's a woman who's at a retreat who doesn't see them as your kids. They see them as their kids. These are our kids. These are our kids. We wanna see them become all they're called to be. If you wanna see a picture of now, after many years of this, I would encourage anybody new to our church to go back to the Labor Day weekend messages and weekends over the last few years. We have a weekend called Next Gen Weekend where you see young people lead. We're now at a phase in our church where we're seeing sons and daughters rise up to walk in their callings after years of building spiritual family. God distributes resources, though, through spiritual family. I don't know if you've read that in the New Testament, but the Bible talks about these joinings. It says the joint that we are connected to is a supply. Now, God is God. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants to do it. He can Amazon it to your house. He can Uber eat it to your house. He can kick it out of heaven. He could just kick a brick off the road of heaven to you. He could just be like, Dunk. well, wouldn't that be awesome? Boom, just a brick right there, boom. He can do it however he wants. I mean, he is God. He can bring it out of nothing. But can I say something as a pastor? You know why the enemy wants to keep you so disconnected? A lot of the supply that you're looking for comes through the relational joinings. That's how God works a lot of times. He supplies it through. It's like my friend John who came here, he started watching online during the pandemic and he came here when we opened up church and he'd already been there, done that. Like by the way, the more church you've done, the more calluses you have, the more hurt you have, the more reticent you are to live biblical. You like to read it, but live in the New Testament is different than reading the New Testament. So you can exempt yourself, like, well, I have knowledge, so I'm mature. Maybe, maybe not. John said, well, I'm just gonna sit back. I'm just gonna kind of, you know, because he's, 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 he's an educated sheep. And so he just kind of, and you know what? There was some people grabbed a hold of him, pulled him into a men's group. He told me at lunch the other day, he said, I didn't wanna do it especially when they told me it met at 6 a.m. on Monday. He's like, that's the devil. I'm not doing that. And he said it wasn't just a few weeks into those times with those men as we're praying for one another. He said, a place where I can talk about the real stuff in my life the power of having them pray for me before I go into a business meeting, the power of that. He said, I liked it and didn't want to like it. But it's how God resources us so many times is through those relationships. We discover God's purpose in spiritual family. We discover the purpose God has for us. That's what happens in those relationships as you begin to walk them out. God begins to show you your purpose in his plan. I hear the story all the time. I got an email from a lady 
this past week who said, I, I myself, I, I was here for a while, didn't get connected, and then went to 201 and found out there was an admin team. She got connected on the admin team. And I love some of the phrases she uses. She said, I would hear other people on videos talk about how a big church felt like family, but now I've experienced it and I understand because I have a team, I'm a part, I'm connected, I'm using my gift. You find your purpose when you find your people. When you find the people God's called you to walk with, everyone's like, I wanna have closeness, I wanna have relationship, I wanna have intimacy. Intimacy is a byproduct of shared purpose. It's why people who go to war and fight, they come back, they're brothers. It's why football teams, it's why sports is so powerful. Sports has an environment where you get around and you help one another and you get in the trenches. So amazing, we've been around sports, we've been around business, we've been around military things, we've experienced it in culture and we come to church and be like, I was good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I give, honey, I give the preacher an eight this weekend, Brother Little. <laughs> gotta have a team. Gotta have a family. Gotta have an environment to grow. Your destiny's tied to your relationships. It's just a scriptural principle. I, I'm not saying, are you around the things of God? I'm asking you, are you vitally connected to the things of God? Because that step, though scary, will be the way God distributes more in your life than you could possibly imagine. Let me give you a little picture of it. Young couple in our church, they talked about their 301 group. We make the steps clear for you. We got 101, then we have 201, 301. 301's the environment, I always push that because 301's an environment where you actually get a small group. Some of you say, I did that a long time ago. Maybe you need to do it again. I just say, keep going through the car wash till you get clean. Just keep on cycling. 301's an environment where you get connected in these, this group of people. Look at that picture. Some of you may be new. You're like, Pastor Jeff, what are you really into? What are you really passionate about? I'm passionate about what happened in that tank and what's happening in that picture. That's what I'm passionate about. Because I'm passionate about sheep getting healthy, Sheep getting pastored, sheep getting developed, and sheep growing and beginning to fulfill the purpose of why King Jesus put us on this earth. That's what I'm passionate about. Oh, I am, I'm still passionate about it. Because man, that's powerful right there, those young couples that got together in that group, living spiritual family. I love the identifiers of it, look at this. All different church backgrounds. This is, this is the couple that started the group. No one knew each other. No one was tithing or serving. Amazing, they put that in there. Because you know what? When you're connected, you wanna contribute. When you see it as they are doing great things, you're not as involved or connected, tithing or serving. No one was. They walk through miscarriages together. You're preparing right now the relationships of your pain and problems of tomorrow. They walk through one couple doing IVF. They walked through adopting another couple into the small group last year because it's not a closed group, us four and no more. Chosen frozen. <laughs> we started with no kids. Now we got five babies, toddlers, and three on the way. Come on now, we're being fruitful and multiplying. <laughs> Everyone is tithing and serving. Several couples, whole families are coming to Milestone and are serving. Two couples, now this is where it gets crazy now. You talk about spiritual family. This, it starts getting weird now. You're like, whoa, preacher. Two couples move to the same neighborhood because they have no natural family close by and they spend holidays together. 
After promises, several couples are going on to lead their own group, but that won't stop the get-togethers, the vacations, etc. That, that's what you need. I, I know you're praying for things, but are you willing to participate in the way God distributes and grows us? That's what you need. I'm talking about loneliness. It's an epidemic in our culture. And God's provided the solution called spiritual family. I'm asking you to pray with me. Everyone bow their heads wherever you're at, online, at our campuses, wherever you're at. The first step to spiritual family is not even being added to an environment. It starts with Jesus becoming your Lord and Savior. You just simply say, Jesus, come into my life. I submit my life to you. I don't wanna be isolated alone as an orphan. I wanna be a part of your family. I wanna be a part of a relationship with you. Jesus, I believe you died for me. You rose from the dead. Come into my heart. Become my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that prayer, let us know so we can help you begin to walk out your journey with Jesus. But second of all, Lord, I pray that you would go beyond my words. The words that I believe, that I know, that I read in scripture, but more than my words today, I pray beyond information, this would be an impartation for your people. That the enemy wouldn't isolate them, beat them up, and keep them from everything you have. But Lord, I pray every person listening to me would take a relational next step toward the plan you have for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.